Hey, Adam Smolcom here, lead pastor of Vive Church. Welcome to our podcast. I pray that God will speak to you through the message today and that a greater level of faith would be unlocked in your life. God bless. For those of you who don't know me, again, I'm Jake. And my wife, Nicole, and I, uh, we pastor a church down in Los Angeles called C3LA. And uh, your pastors, Adam and Kira, have been a part of my wife, Nicole, and I's story from uh, the very beginning of our church. And you've heard me say it before, but we would not be where we are uh, if not for them, uh, if not their, for their belief in us, their encouragement, their occasional correction, <laughs> but in totality, their love. And we are just so grateful for Adam and Kira. We love you guys so, so very much. I am a family member of this church. I was watching uh, Pastor Adam Mace's message from last Sunday. I know he said the same thing, but I'm not being disingenuous. I really am family here. I'm not saying that he was being disingenuous. Well, don't read into that. That's not fair. Adam Mace, if you happen to watch this, I love you. Um... But it's, uh, it's good to be back. I was with uh, your Vive Brotherhood just last year. And I was playing, we were playing golf. And I think, uh, I don't know how my group did, but did we win? That's shocking because um, at the, the first hole, there was four of us on our group. And this is not an exaggeration. Literally not a one of us out of the four hit the ball past the next tee box. That's, that's not a lie. So we, we, we slowly got better <laughs> from there. Um, okay, so uh, let me share with you a couple of book recommendations that um, I think will be helpful for you if you want to dive deeper into the, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, the first is a book called One with Christ by Marcus Peter Johnson. And the second is a book called The Incarnation of God by John C. Clark. If you're a reader, maybe grab a hold of those wonderful books. Uh, Ephesians chapter one, verse three is where we're gonna begin today, which says this. This is the apostle Paul speaking to the church in the ancient Roman city of Ephesus. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not half of the spiritual blessings, not 75%, but every spiritual blessing in Christ. I wanna go to maybe somewhat of an unexpected passage as well for uh, today. We're dealing with the subject of inheritance, but this psalm is brilliantly fitting with what we're talking about. Psalm 16, beginning in verse one, says, Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I say of the holy people who are in the land, or for us New Testament people who are in the church, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. I won't pour out libations of blood to such gods or take up their name on my lips. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. 
And that's our word for today. We're in a series for those of you who are just joining us at Vibe Church, maybe for the first time this year. We're in a series called Free Destined, which is a great title. I love it. And in this series, we're, we're dealing with the tension that exists between God's sovereignty and human decision. And the tension there is that the Bible is ultimately clear that God is sovereign or in control of all that goes on in creation, including human behavior. But the Bible also makes clear that we have been given free will and that we're ultimately accountable to God for the decisions that we make. So there's a tension that God is sovereign, but you and I have free will. And those two truths in tension sound a beautiful biblical note. It takes tension to make music. And one of the places that this tension makes music is in the area of understanding salvation. When we are saved, what role does God play? What role do we play? And if God is sovereign over all creation, why is it not that all people are saved? This gets us into the realm of something called the doctrine of election, which thanks be to God, Pastor Adam will deal with in a couple weeks' time. (laughs) But no matter where somebody falls in their view of predestination and God's election, there are two things that we should all agree upon at the outset of this message. Number one, Jesus refers to his church as the elect. And that word means chosen. So the term is biblical, and we should use it without fear or concern. Now, if that word election is to communicate anything to us, it should communicate God's unfathomable grace. That even when I was dead in my trespasses, God graciously chose me for life. And that truth should motivate me to share with everybody I possibly can the greatest news in human history. Because as far as we are concerned, Jesus calls upon us to interact with everybody that we meet as though he were calling them through us. The second thing that this truth of election should communicate to us or tell us is that Jesus Christ is the predestined and elect Savior. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, living, dying, rising again and ascending back to heaven for the sake of our salvation, that was always the plan of the triune God. It was predestined. He was elect for that purpose. And therefore, all of those who are in him, who are in Christ, who are in the elect one, we can safely refer to ourselves as elect. Now, what matters most today and what I've been asked to speak to you about is the inheritance that we receive once we are in the elect Christ Jesus, if indeed we are in him. In other words, I've been assigned the most exciting subject, I think, of this series in getting to talk to you about how wealthy, how utterly and completely blessed you are by being joined to Christ. And for any of you here today who maybe throughout the duration of this message might realize that you are not in fact in Christ, then please know that this is your call. 
you being here today is not an accident. The sovereign God does not make accidents. So just the fact that you're in the room tells me that God's grace, that is his love in action towards you, has already been working in your life to bring you to this place so that you could come face to face with your Savior and your Lord. The title of my message today is this, The Lord is My Portion. Now, I've been asked to go a bit deep, so I'm going to do that. And so this is maybe not your typical Sunday morning message. So I just want to really encourage you, put your phone away, don't get distracted. If you miss a sentence, you'll be lost. Are you ready? So in a word, our inheritance is what I would call salvation. So in order to understand how shockingly good our inheritance is, we must have a strong grasp on the meaning of salvation. Now salvation has many components, some of which you're gonna learn about in this series. I'm not going to explain those individual components in detail to you today because if we were to do that, we'd be here all the way till the five at five service. My aim today is simple. I want to help you get thunderstruck with awe and wonder about your inheritance of salvation as we consider that inheritance in its most foundational sense. Now, in order to do that, we have to understand that the most fundamental truth, what I'm about to say is important, please listen. The most fundamental truth about salvation is that to be saved means that we are unified with Jesus Christ. We are joined to the person of Jesus and that is the most fundamental thing about the gospel. More fundamental to your salvation than the gifts God gives you is the fact that those gifts are given in the person of Jesus Christ. So I have in mind gifts like justification, which means to be declared righteous. Gifts like sanctification, which means to be made holy. These are part of the work of Christ's salvation in your life. But oftentimes without realizing it, we separate the work of Jesus from the person of Jesus, which leads us then to thinking of those works as objects or commodities that exist independently of Jesus that he hands to us while standing at a distance from us. Instead of what they actually are, which are gifts that are received in being joined to him by faith through the Holy Spirit. This is why the Apostle Paul constantly throughout his letters receives to all of God's saving benefits to you as what? As in Christ or in him or some derivative of that phrase. To be more precise, about 164 times Paul uses that phrase. What about in the Apostle John's writings? We see the same exact truth in, in his gospel. Jesus talks about these gifts, things such as living water or the bread of life or resurrection, but at no point in time does Jesus ever say, I'm going to give you living water or I'm going to give you the bread of life. Jesus says, no, I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am resurrection. In John 6 and verse 53, Jesus makes this shocking claim. Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, Jesus is using somewhat of a metaphor here, but the metaphor should not make us miss the reality that Jesus is saying, there is no life except for the life that is in me. And the only way you have life is by partaking of me, being joined to me. 
And when you are joined to the life of Jesus, you are doing what the apostle Peter called participating in the divine nature. And this is because to be joined to Jesus is to be brought into the life of the triune God. So to be unified with him means that I share in his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. I'm participating in the triune life of God. And that is incredibly good news. Why? Well, because God himself, first point, God is good news. In order to understand your inheritance, you've got to know the good news of God. You see, the Bible teaches that God is one God in three indivisible yet distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These three persons are what we call co-eternal with one another, meaning that none of them existed before the others. They have always existed together for eternity. And they are distinct from one another, but they're indivisible also from one another, which is why we call God Trinity. Now this, of course, is always going to be somewhat of a mystery to you and I on this side of heaven. But what is absolutely clear about God is that because he is Trinity, that means that he is eternally relational. He's never not been three in one and one in three, which means that the life of God is not static. It is not existing in isolation. Rather, God's life is eternally communal, dynamic, vibrant, and overflowing. So overflowing, in fact, that it overflows into the creation of creation. You see, for all of eternity, God has always enjoyed the life within himself, which you and I were created to enjoy, and which we get to enjoy once we are reconciled to him in Christ. And this is why we can say that God is good news. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul's letter to, to Timothy, he calls the gospel the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. Literally, the good news of the glory of God. That God in all of his glory, all by himself, before there was a you or a me or an ostrich or a cheetah, he was already good news. And so if the ultimate outcome of our salvation is that by being joined to the Son, we enter into and enjoy the life of God, then we must understand that to enjoy his life is to enjoy a life that is characterized as both eternal and abundant. This is why God can give you eternal abundant life because he has that life within himself and you can only ever give out of what you have. We can understand this better by considering some of God's attributes. The Bible says, for instance, that God is love. And this is true not because God can love or because God has a propensity to be loving, but because God, the Bible is clear, is love. So before the creation of time itself, he was love and he'll always be love. And what that means is that the only true way to know love is to know God. Because apart from God, there is no love because love originates in God. Apart from him, love does not exist. But because God exists and has always existed, that means that love exists and has always existed. Now we experience something that we call love apart from God, but it's distorted and it's not altogether satisfying. Sometimes it's even downright destructive. 
And some of you here today, you have been the victim of that sort of love. And the really deceptive thing about that kind of love is that it fills you enough to make you want more. But you can never get full. So you always feel empty. But the love of God is altogether different. God is not just a better version of the love that we experience. He is the only version of love after which everything else is mere shadow or even something else entirely in disguise. Those who are reconciled to God get to enter into his love. It's the same love that the Son of God demonstrated to you on the cross. It's the same love that the Bible says has now been poured out into the heart of the believer through the Holy Spirit. And the only reason God can demonstrate his love and give his love is because God is love and you can only ever give out of what you have. And the reason he has love, the reason he is love is because he is Trinity. You see, that means that at no time did God ever discover an object worth loving and therefore learned how to love. God did not need to create us to then discover what it was to love somebody. Love for God was not an abstraction that he could conceptualize in, him, in his mind, but only really ever experience once he created you and I. We could say that God has not been progressively been getting better at love. He's not improving in his ability to love. No, because God eternally exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He has always known perfect love and shared that love mutually amongst himself. You see, God, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not in the sense that he's unexciting or lacking in dynamic, but exactly the opposite. That he is actual fullness of everything your soul desires for eternity. Everything that the world keeps disappointing you over because it cannot satisfy. It can't give you what your eternal soul desires because you cannot give what you do not have. But the consistency of God's glorious character and nature is as ancient and eternal as he is. I like the way one theologian put it. He says, God always does who he is. And he's always been who he is. Isn't it good news to know that in a world where the ground is constantly shifting and changing beneath our feet, there is a God who is unfathomably and yet predictably good. Now we can't adequately put words to this except to say that when we consider God, we use the word that he himself uses. And we say that God is holy. He is a standard unto himself, immeasurable in his perfection and purity and totally lacking in any form of defect. God is holy because he is eternal and he is uncreated. And therefore he is completely distinct from his creation. So nothing and no one else is like God. And therefore, nothing and no one else in creation, visible or invisible, could ever reveal God to us for the simple reason that creation is not God. The only way to know God is if the holy God reveals the holy God. 
which brings an overwhelming sense of awe when we consider the incarnation, that is the infleshing, the embodying of the Son of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus, the holy God reveals the holy God. Which is to say, point number two, that the good news of God became good news to us. And this is what the incarnation of Jesus Christ accomplishes. He is the arrival of the good news of God in and as a man. He's fully God and he's fully man. And therefore, when we are joined to Jesus by faith, we share in his redemptive and reconciling work of humanity being joined to God again. This is the foundational truth of the gospel. Now, the way that Jesus accomplished this is both quite simple and also a profound mystery. That Jesus came from eternity and he voluntarily subjected himself to the full gamut of the human experience, all while retaining his godness. And this he did to vicariously represent us to God. So he was tempted to sin, the Bible says, in every single way that we are and yet was without sin. So where you and I and every single human before us failed to be faithful to the eternally faithful one, Jesus succeeded. But it wasn't just sin that Jesus overcame. Scripture also teaches us that Jesus overcame all manner of trial and tribulation. He overcame the deepest and darkest of pains. It is impossible to overstate just how deeply Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was ridiculed, rejected, ostracized, wrongly accused, illegally tried, beaten, whipped, spat upon, forced to carry a Roman cross up a hill upon which he was fixed with an iron spike through his feet and two through his hands. And on that cross, the Bible says that he took the curse of our sin upon himself so that by satisfying his own holy justice in judging sin with death, you and I could therefore become the righteousness of God because Jesus' perfectly righteous life is attributed to us. In the incarnate Son of God, God lived as a man so that man's perfect faithfulness to God could be achieved and he died as a man so that God's just judgment for man's sin could be fulfilled. In and through Jesus Christ, God both justly judged and brilliantly vindicated humanity. And then because Jesus defeated death by his resurrection, we therefore, by being joined to him, are ushered into eternal life. And eternal life is nothing less than the life of God. You see, you have to understand that eternal life is not some undefinable, amorphous thing. Eternal life is the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because we have been joined by faith to Jesus, we are brought into God's life. So what is our hope of eternity if not him? What is our hope of being a part of the life that we were created to enjoy if not in the God who came down the mountain to us and joined himself to us in the first place? Our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. You see, in Jesus, you don't just know about God. You actually know him. In Jesus Christ, God hasn't just revealed himself to us in the sense that now we stand apart from him and imitate or covet his life. 
That's only kind of good news. That God would come in the sun and say, this is how you live and you and I would do our best to follow in his footsteps. That's not that great a news. The good news is much better than that. You and I are not just imitating Christ, we are participating in Christ and joined into the life of God. And in that life is steadfast love and endless joy and unshakable peace. And this is your inheritance. Your inheritance is in Christ because your inheritance is Christ. And all that he possesses and all that he came to possess on your behalf. Which brings us to our concluding point. That the Lord is my portion. You see, there really is no greater way to understand our inheritance than that right there. There's no fuller way to understand our salvation than that we have been joined to Christ. Sometimes, like I said before, we can think of the pieces of our salvation, such as God's forgiveness of our sins and his offer of eternal life as things that are detached from God, which he has extended to us as gifts for us to receive that we then therefore have to do our best not to lose or damage. Like the, the gospel is the equivalent of a toddler opening up their presents on their birthday and you know that they are liable to lose or break them in the first week. <laughs> See, what you and I have to understand is that what God gave us in Christ is infinitely better than what he gave Adam. If what we have received in Christ Jesus is the same as what Adam and Eve received, then this thing is just going to run itself back and we will be right back where we started and we will need another Christ. But if indeed what we have received in Christ is better than what we were given in Adam, we have been given something not that is corruptible, but that is incorruptible. The very... It's a little bit like the difference between you and I drowning in the ocean. And God throws us a lifesaver or God throws himself into the water and jumps in after us. If God threw us a lifesaver, it would be up to us to grab a hold of it and keep a hold of it all while those violent waves threatened to take us under. But if God himself got into that water, then it's he that grabs a hold of us. It's he that keeps a hold of us. It's he that pulls us to safety. I want to tell you today that salvation is God getting in the water. And when he got in, he got wet. He went to that cross. But the Bible says he did it with joy because of your salvation on the other side. Now imagine that, that the triune God who has known joy eternally within himself still considered your salvation a joy worth having. Do you see why we call it good news? <laughs> And that joy of God's is made more and more complete every time somebody comes to the revelation that Jesus Christ is not just the God who came into human history. He is the God who comes into human hearts and joins you into his life. 
You see, to be in Christ is to receive all that your eternal soul longs for. Nothing else satisfies. But the life of God is perpetual satisfaction. I know a man last year whose little nest egg got cut down to the tune of one-fifth. And I was talking to him recently, and I was checking in on him and asking him, you know, how you're doing with that. <laughs> he says, you know, initially it was quite shocking and kind of a difficult thing to process. But if I were to be really honest with you, I feel more free now. Because before, so much of my thought life was consumed with what I could do with that money. And so my thoughts were all about really me. But I come to this revelation recently of all that I've been given in Christ Jesus. I'm not poorer for what I lost in the material sense when I consider all that I have in Jesus Christ. How can somebody ever take that perspective? How can you take that perspective in whatever it is that you lose? Well, you can because in Christ is truly everything that really means anything. Paul says it again in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3. Let's keep reading even beyond that. Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's where the blessings are located, in Christ Jesus. So if you're not in Christ Jesus, you might be able to study them from a distance and hear about them and, and conceptualize them in your mind. But until you get your life into the life of Jesus, you will not know those blessings personally. What are those blessings? Well, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity, listen to this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So Christ is the unification of creator and creation, of God and man, so much so that his very existence prophesies to a future day when heaven and earth will be fully and completely reconciled, the English Standard Version says, in him. The Lord is my portion. And I don't know what your portion is, but if it ain't that, I'm not jealous. I don't care what you got. I don't care how big your house is. I don't care what kind of car you drive. Doesn't matter to me what your salary is. Could be 50 times bigger than mine. I don't care if I've wanted something, 10 of them, and I never get one. But my God, is my portion and so I will not be sad even one minute about something that you caught when I already caught all that I could ever you say well what about my inheritance here on earth well I'll get to that in a second in the way that we often think about it but first let me just ask the question what if your inheritance on earth was less about a life of getting and more about a life of purpose, which of course has a whole lot more to do with giving 
than it does with getting. But let's not forget that the, one of the high points of Paul's revelation in Ephesians 1 is what he says in Ephesians 2. That because of all this, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And I'm prepared before you before time even began. I was uh, a couple weeks ago in Dallas, Texas. I had great joy of being a part of a church's conference there. And every day for this conference, they had brought in an Anglican priest. And the Anglican priest at the noon hour was facilitating communion. And it was really beautiful. And so I was there on the Friday, and that was the last day of the conference. And he was there to facilitate the communion. And during his little sermon, he shares a story how before uh, COVID, he had started this business. I guess Anglican priests need side hustles too. Go figure. We're all in the same boat. And his, his, his side hustle was uh, smoking and selling barbecue. He was the most Texan Anglican priest that you ever met. He had this like cowboy vest on, black denim, and really well-worn, muddy cowboy boots. It was wonderful. And so he has this, this business and then the pandemic happens and he decides one of the things that he can do with what God has put in his hand is he can, he can feed people that are in need with this barbecue. And so he ends up getting linked to this ministry in Dallas that uh, takes care of those who are mentally unwell. And he agrees to prepare a, a lunch for them, a meal for them. And one of the things that he explained is that barbecue is all about the math. I guess if you're in barbecue, you know what's the average amount of meat that the average person eats. And so if you're preparing a meal for a large group of people, you count the number of heads and you multiply by the average and you prepare that weight. And so that's exactly what he did. He prepares the food. He's up all early smoking it. I don't know how barbecue works, but he's getting it ready. I'm sure it tastes great. I like eating it. I never made it. Let's get some barbecue after church. Okay, so. And so he's up early. He's getting the food ready. He takes the, the meal to this, this ministry. He drops it off. He goes home. He's exhausted. He's resting for the rest of the afternoon. Later that evening, the woman who's been corresponding with him at the ministry, she calls him and he's like, oh no, something must be wrong. So he answers the phone, he says, hello. She's like, she goes, what did you do? He says, what do you mean? She goes, something happened. What happened? You brought entirely too much food. And he's like, no, I, I checked the math. I double checked the math. I had my wife check the math. I managed my costs pretty good. I, I made sure to, to bring the right amount of food for your party. He says, well, that might be true, but... Every time our team kept on going back to the coolers to get more meat, they just kept on being full. So to the end of the day on that Friday, they had enough food and did indeed feed their entire party for three more days after that. And that's not even the best part. The best part is that she said to him, his name's Father David, she says, Father David, this morning, during my quiet time with God, I was reading in the Bible, in the Gospel of Matthew, and I came upon the story of Jesus multiplying the fish and the loaves to feed the 5,000. And as I was reading that story, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray this simple little prayer, and my prayer was, God, I'd love to see something like that in my lifetime. And evidently, God's answer was, how about today? 
You see, I wonder what kind of life you and I would live, what kind of wonder we would get to experience if we stopped thinking of our inheritance as all the things that God owes us, but rather what we have already received in Christ Jesus, that I'm already well supplied. And so that in my prayer time, I don't need to be consumed with God I need, God I want, God can I have. Instead, the prayers I can pray can be, God, I'd love to see something like that in my lifetime. I'd love to be a part of a move of God in my lifetime. I'd love to see miracles happen in my church in my lifetime. I'd love to be a part of what you want to do in this generation, Lord God. I'd love for you to use me and my friends and my small group and the people that I'm connected to, but you only ever start to pray those prayers if you stop being so concerned with God can I have and start praying, God can you use me to impact those who are around me? That's the kind of inheritance He has for you. You see, what I found is that God does not need lessons in loving you. He's been doing the love thing forever so he, he's not figuring it out he's not trying to get better you know that book the five love languages he never read it he's not concerned about how do I love Mark how do I love Cindy he's not thinking that he knows how to love you and so even if the last 30 seconds of your prayer time are explaining to him the needs that you have. That little 30 seconds is all he needs to go, yep, I, in fact, I already knew that. Jesus said, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. Therefore, pray then like this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. This is David's revelation, and I'll finish with this, because we said a lot. You caught all the sentences, right? This is David's revelation in the rest of Psalm 16, verses 7 to 11. The Lord is my portion. So, so what does that mean? Well, I'm going to praise the Lord, who counsels me even at night. My heart instructs me. That's wisdom. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With Him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That's courage. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. That's joy. My body also will rest secure, that's protection and provision. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life, you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the guarantee of God's presence. These are part of your inheritance in Christ. And not even these are gifts that exist independently of Jesus. Like, like they're just kind of the bonus on top of the more spiritual things like sanctification. No, even all of that is in Christ and in Christ alone. Christ is our wisdom. In Him is the meaning of heaven and earth, the purpose of your life. Christ is our courage. That's why when the Spirit of Jesus came on the apostles, it says that they became bold. Christ is our joy, which is why I can even have joy in the midst of suffering. Christ is my protection because in Him I've already died and I've already been resurrected so I will not fear those who might destroy the body but can't touch the soul nor can they damage or corrupt the resurrection body that's been laid up for me in eternity. Christ is our provision. He's already received the heavenly kingdom. I'm in the one who owns the cattle on 1,000 hills and Christ is my guarantee of God's presence so that even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death He will not leave. He will not sake he's always with you
Stand to your feet. If in him I receive wisdom and courage and joy and protection and provision and the guarantee of God's presence, won't that also allow me to make choices in life that aren't driven by folly or fear or grief or insecurity or the fear of loneliness? And if those are the kinds of choices that I'm making, will it often be the result that I reap beautiful benefits in my own life? And should I fail and fall because I'm connected to the one who is seated securely on the throne, won't it be that he picks me up every time? The righteous may fall seven times, but the Lord picks him up every single time. He delivers him out of all his calamities. Now, I have certainly found that to be true. And it's not gonna mean that I get everything that I want in my life. It's not gonna mean that. That's not your inheritance. But truth be told, you don't actually want all the things that you think you want. What your soul longs for is God. St. Augustine, church father in the fourth and fifth century said this, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Thanks be to God that in the incarnate Son, Jesus Christ, I am joined to Him and therefore joined into the life of God. If my soul wants God, if your soul wants God, I got good news for you. In Jesus Christ, it's nothing less than God that you get. No wonder Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Hey, I hope you were blessed by that message. We release new content every single week here at Vive Church. And so if you don't wanna miss any of it, I would encourage you, go ahead and subscribe. Also visit our website, vivechurch.org to stay up to date with everything that's happening in the life of Vive Church. God bless you.